I'm going to ask you if you have a Bible to turn to the book of James, chapter number one. And we will look at several verses of scripture from the book of James. Brother and Sister Long, it's so good to see you. Welcome our friends back from Michigan. We're very thankful to have you. Brother and Sister Sheridan, the Moody family, we're so thankful to have these good folks with us. And I'll just add my voice to what Brother Shane said and welcome all of our guests that are here. Uh, you bless us by being here and worshiping with us on Sunday morning. And then all, to all of our home folks, and you're faithful to be in the house of the Lord. I give you honor, and I'm so thankful to be uh, among you. And then as it has been stated to everybody that's joining us online, uh, sometimes it's easy to kind of forget that there is a vast audience that watches what happens here at this church. I was made aware of this just a few days ago when I was traveling, and I had multiple people come up to me and say, we're watching nearly every Sunday what's happening in Cabot. And this is from all over the country. And um, my first thought was, are you going to church? But I was also thankful that we have a webcast where we can uh, share God's word with, with an internet audience. And so I, I give honor to everyone that's joining us today. We do pray that, that this service is a blessing to all of you. Amen. James chapter number one and uh, verse number two. If you've got it in your Bible, would you say, I'm there? Amen. Good, that's most everybody, I think. And if you don't have a Bible, you can just look up at the screen. We'll put these verses on, on the screen. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Everyone say patience. I'm going to read one more verse, but let me stop here long enough to say how many of you read verse number two, the first verse that we read, and you think to yourself, boy, that sounds good, but that's a tough one to live out. I don't know, just full disclosure, I don't know if I have ever, and I got a long way to go to be like the Lord. There's a song like that, isn't there? But uh, I don't know if I've ever you know, gone through a, a bunch of different temptations and had the first reaction be, oh, this is joyful. Now, maybe you're, you're more spiritual than I am, but, but most of the time it's a little perplexing, a little tough. But James writes and says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, because temptation is a trial of your faith, it worketh patience. Verse 4, but let patience, everyone say let patience. Notice this is a permissive thing. I have to let patience do something. Let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire or complete, wanting nothing. Let me say this at the very outset of this sermon today. When things aren't perfect, hang on. Something's working. Amen. If you survey your life today and you think, man, I got X, Y, Z that's not perfect, hang on. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't charge God foolishly. Hang on. Something is at work. How many of you remember this, this old, old song? Sister Ashley, we're going to go old school today. They that wait upon the Lord. You remember this song? 
shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Yes, they will. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Teach me, Lord, teach me, Lord, to wait. And we're going to sing that again, but if you're not familiar with that song, everything in that song that we just sang, except the part at the end that says, teach me, Lord, to wait, every, the rest of it is from the book of Isaiah, chapter number 40 and verse 31, where the prophet puts pen to paper or parchment or whatever they wrote on back there. And he said, here's the promise. If you wait on him, there's going to come strength. And if you're patient, he's going to come through. How many have lived long enough to know that's true? Look at someone say, I know it's hard, but you need to wait. I know it's difficult, but you need to wait. Come on, I wish you'd lift up your voice and sing it again. Oh, they that wait. Come on, make it ring, new life. They shall renew shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles oh yes they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not come on pray it now well teach me lord Come on, let's make it ring in Cabot this morning. Well, they that wait, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up, oh, with wings like eagles. Oh, they shall run and not be weary. They I pray as the word is preached this morning that you'd let it find good ground. I pray, Lord, that you would let the seed of the word that's going to be given today find a lodging place and bring forth fruitfulness on Sunday morning. We need you, Lord. We trust in you today. Teach us, Lord. Equip us today through your word, Lord. Let something significant happen in lives in this room right now. Mix our faith with the word of God, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Thank you for singing. And keep that Bible close. We're going to look at several verses of Scripture this morning. James is such an interesting New Testament book because he stresses the importance of maintaining and going forward. I think this is one of the keys to living a victorious Christian life is to just keep going forward. When setbacks come, when the enemy comes, when disappointment comes, we have to square our shoulders and keep going forward. Amen. Sometimes the pace slows. Sometimes we're not running the race. We're walking. 
But for heaven's sake, let's go forward in Jesus' name. Amen. And so James is teaching. He's instructing. He's giving insight from the word of the Lord. It's in James chapter 5, the closing chapter of this New Testament epistle, when in the first six verses of that chapter, he refers to the fact that there will come some who will oppress others. He calls them rich oppressors. They have something that others do not, loads of money. And there are some, unfortunately, James says, that will use that as an occasion to oppress other people. It is in the context of this fifth chapter in the book of James that James reminds those to whom he writes that though they may oppress now, they will be called to task for that. Can I just say this and and maybe remind some and inform others? If evil is done, it will be paid for. Amen. Whether or not they think they're getting away with it, whether or not we think we're getting away with it, if we do wrong, we will reap what we sow. That's a law of nature. It's part of the word of the Lord. It was Abraham that called God the judge of all the earth, according to Genesis chapter 18 and verse 25. And then he simply said, shall he not do right? He's the judge. Ultimately, God is the judge. When James talks about this and Abraham speaks of it in the Old Testament, this coincides with what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5 when he said, The Lord will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. There is coming a day when there will come revelation. There is coming a day when payday will come. And James begins to use these words to try to encourage the people of God. He introduces a word that is difficult for us to go through. It's easy to say, but it's difficult for us to endure, and that is the word patience. In James chapter 5 and verse 7, he declares, Be patient, therefore, when the oppressors, when the rich oppressors oppress. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold the husbandman. Now that's a big King James way of saying the farmer. Behold the farmer waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. Now let me pause here long enough to say that anytime I see a a grouping of things, it gets my attention. Just the way that my brain is wired. If something is mentioned just once or it's by itself, that's one thing. But when when the writer of James, who is James, says there's a former rain and then there's a latter rain. Well, I don't know. I'm just like this. I can't just go on by that. I need to find out what does that mean. Uh, I know what we got last night. It was the midnight rain. And it's amazing to me how accurate most of the time the weathermen are and the weatherwomen are. They said about 8.30 there's going to be lightning. About 8.30 there was lightning last night here in Cabot. And and we know what it was to have rain. I walked around the building this morning very early checking to make sure we don't have any leaks in the building. 
And by the grace of God, Pastor Larry, I don't know if you saw any. I don't think we have any leaks this morning, so praise be to God. Amen. So I know that rain, but when the Bible says there's a former rain and there's a latter rain, we got to dig into that. I got to know what that means. I don't want to just roll right on by that and think, well, that's just a couple times a year that it rains. And we have to understand that the context of the writing here is the Middle East. And in the nation of Israel, the rainy season starts in October. That's when it starts. And this rain is intended to soften the ground to get the plows ready and indicate to the farmers it's time to begin the work. The latter rain comes in the spring and from really the fall until the spring is the rainy season in the country of Israel. That last rain in the spring is to ripen the crops. And James says, consider the farmer who understands the weather and he understands uh, that there's an early rain and there's a latter rain. And so because of that understanding, he patiently waits for it. And then James brings it from out of the agricultural example to now the heart of the hearer. And he says in verse 8, Be ye also patient, just like the farmer. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. He then indicates one of the big pitfalls when we are not established and when we're not patient. He says in verse number 9, grudge not one against another. Sometimes people who are impatient can be grumbling people. Kind of get at one another. Why? Because there's an inner turmoil that something has not been answered yet. Something has not been taken care of yet. And yet James says, don't grudge against one another lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge stands at the door. Verse 10, take my brethren, the prophets. He uses another example. Who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Do you see what James is doing? He's saying to the hearers of what he is writing, you've got to be like the farmer who patiently waits for the rain to come, patiently waits for the harvest. You need to be like the prophet who, though he was persecuted, he just uh, braced himself and said, I've got a word from the Lord and I'm going to practice, I'm going to go through this affliction, but I'm going to be patient in the middle of it. Verse 11, behold, we count them happy which endure. Another word for happy is blessed. We count them blessed, which endure. And then it is almost as though the next statement jumps off the Bible at me. He says this, you have heard of the patience of Job and you have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercies. So today, for just a few short moments on this Sunday morning, I do feel like the Lord would speak to us. I want to preach on the patience of Job. The patience of Job. James says, you've heard about this. The patience of Job. I was just a young boy. I was 11 years old uh, when Air Florida Flight 90 uh, horrifically crashed after takeoff from the Washington National Airport, which is now the Ronald Reagan Airport in our nation's capital. It was January the 13th, 1982. Air Florida Flight 90 had just taken off and was headed to Tampa, Florida. It was a Boeing 737, and shortly after takeoff, it crashed 
unexplainably into the 14th Street Bridge over the Potomac River. Now, as I began to rehearse in my mind this, I, I literally remember when this happened. I was just a young boy. I wasn't even a teenager yet. But I remember when this took place. It was horrific. Uh, when the plane was taxing out to take off, it was pilot error. The pilots ignored the fact that it was a very cold day and it had been snowing and ice also had been falling from the sky and the, the wings were completely iced up. And instead of going back to the terminal to get de-iced, uh, they decided to just let the exhaust from the plane in front of them serve to melt the ice off of their wings. And it was a tragic, tragic mistake. In just a few short seconds after the plane lifted off of the runway, it, it descended quickly and it struck the bridge which carries Interstate 395 between Washington, D.C. and Arlington County, Virginia. It hit seven occupied vehicles on the bridge and destroyed 97 feet of guardrail before it plunged off of the bridge and into the Potomac River. It was carrying 74 passengers and five crew members. Regrettably and sadly, only four passengers and one crew member who was a flight attendant were rescued from the crash and survived. Another passenger by the name of Arland Williams repeatedly, and this was on television footage that day while they were trying to rescue these five individuals, Arlen Williams repeatedly bobbed up above the water and passed the life preserver to other people. When they threw it to him, he passed it to others. But when they came back to him after those had been uh, rescued, he had disappeared under the water and lost his life. These ones who were bobbing in the water, horrifically traumatized by this accident, were rescued from that icy river by civilians and professionals who were on their way to work. One of those civilians was a man by the name of Lenny Skutnik. Lenny Skutnik was on his way to work. He saw the horrific wreckage. He drove up to the bridge and was standing on the bank of that frozen Potomac River, watching as helpless people bobbed up and down, clinging to parts of that plane that had disintegrated in the river. He said, I stood there and no one was doing anything. And I thought to myself, somebody's got to help them. He said it was as though everyone was just, he wasn't being critical of people around him. He just realized we're all traumatized by this. We're all in shock about this, but somebody's got to do something. And so, and, and television footage will show this. Lenny decided, I'm the one. I've got to do something. I cannot watch these people go under the water and perish. And so without hesitation, he jumped into the water completely jumped in and began to swim toward the survivors. He began to pull one after another and get the life preserver, which was dangling from a rescue helicopter, and get it over to those who were bobbing in the water. He helped rescue those who could be rescued. Skutnik was introduced to the joint sessions of the United States Congress just a few weeks later when President Ronald Reagan gave his State of the Union speech and gave him a medal of commendation for helping to rescue lives. It's interesting to me how Lenny was on his way to work, probably a work, a job that 
Nobody really knew a whole lot about him. And yet in one day, the spotlight was turned on Lenny. He, was, went, he went from an hourly worker to sitting next to Nancy Reagan in the, in the presidential box when the president gave his address to Congress. It's interesting to me how God at times, just like Lenny Skutnik, will turn the spotlight on one individual. Something will happen in that person's life that becomes a vantage point, that is a reference point for other people. It's interesting how this happens. Job is exactly this kind of man. In Job chapter number 1 and verse 6, the Bible says there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Can you imagine for a moment God saying of any of us, have you considered John? Devil, have you considered Lloyd? Have you considered Barry? It's as though the Lord has a moment where he sticks his chest out and says, would you look at him? He shines the spotlight on someone who is upright and someone who is virtuous and someone on whom his favor rests. Let me stop here long enough to give us a picture of what God thinks of us. Lest people walk in this house today and think that God's job is to continually wear us out, beat us into shape, and get us uncomfortable till we're more like him. I would submit to us that God, when we do his will, is applauding us. And God is on our side. We are his child. He is our father. And he is rooting for us. Amen. Amen. He's not some big cosmic bully that just likes to make our life miserable. God is for us. Are there any dads in this house that are just a little bit proud of your kids? Oh, I thought we might get a few more amens than that. Are there any parents in this house that when your kids do something great, you want to talk about it? You want to post about it? You want to let somebody know about it? Why? Because that's our child. I got to make sure we get this today. God is not against us. God is for us. God is on our side. Hey, Satan, have you considered him? Check him out. He's upright. He's full of virtue. And then it's as if James echoes it in the New Testament when he lauded the patience of Job. He said to his New Testament hearers, you've heard of the patience of Job. This is the only time, by the way, that Job is mentioned in the New Testament. And so that begs the question to me, what was it? about this man that made the Lord turn the spotlight on him and made James turn the spotlight. There's something about this man 
There's something about his life and his reaction and his, his way of life. There's something about him I need, to, I need to know. James says, you've heard about the patience of Job. But what was it about him? What was it about him that instilled this virtue so deeply that it was mentioned in both Testaments? Go with me to the book of James chapter 1 again. I want to read several verses and I ask you to follow along and let your imagination be activated as we read from the scriptures. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job and that man was blameless and he was upright. He's one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Everybody say big family. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. He wasn't just the citizen of the month in the POA. He was the greatest citizen of the East. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each one on his appointed day and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. It was a family party. It was a family reunion. So it was, verse 5, when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. Watch this. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. And just in case you're counting, that's 10 burnt offerings. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Watch these next few words. Thus Job did regularly. It might be that one of my boys sinned when he was partying. It could be, I don't have proof, but it might be that one of them transgressed God's command. It could be, I don't have definite of this, but it could be that one of my sins is guilty of something. And so I'm going to act as an intercessor and I'm going to stand between a holy God and my family and I'm going to kill the offering, I'm going to kill, I'm going to burn the offering, I'm going to get down. And it was Job who practiced intercession. It was Job that said, I got to make sure everything is right between my family and our God. Can I tell you something? One of the things that becomes so clear to me when we open up the word of the Lord is Job had patience because Job practiced intercession. When you and I practice intercession, it demands that we wait on the Lord. It demands that we trust in God. It demands that we say, God, I don't have all the answers, but I'm standing between you and somebody else, and I'm trusting that you're going to hear me. I'm trusting that you're going to take care of me I'm trusting that you're going to answer me Job practiced 
intercession. Job practiced intercession. Oh, I feel it in my spirit today. If there can be some mamas and some daddies that will stand in the gap for your kids, I know it gets weary. I know it's tough to pray when you prayed for 12 and 15 and 20 years, but keep interceding for them. Keep interceding for them. There is patience coming. There's the virtue of patience coming. You've heard of the patience of Job. And there's a recipe for that. It's not just that Job was this superman. There's something that produced that patience. And the first thing that he did is he interceded. His prayer life wasn't just about him. But in his prayer life, and through his prayer life, he demanded that he trusted God. See, the very act of prayer, praying for someone else, demands that I don't have all the answers. And I am trusting God to work on my behalf. Job practiced intercession. And the Bible says he did it regularly. It could be. It might be. When's the last time we prayed a prayer? Not that it did happen, but it could have happened. It might have happened. So God, I'm going to bombard heaven, and I'm going to intercede for my son. I'm going to intercede for my daughter. I'm going to intercede for my, my church. I'm going to intercede for my friends. I'm going to practice intercession. And it produced in him a patience to trust God for the answers. Look at Job chapter 1 and verse 13. There was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, another party. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, Another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 17, it's almost unthinkable. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Have you ever had one of those days when the hits just keep on coming? You ever heard people say, well, things come in threes. I don't even want them to come in twos. You ever had two things happen and you think, oh boy, what's next? This is the third messenger comes to Job. It's not enough that just... Certain cattle were killed or camels were killed, but now the enemy's coming and raiding and setting up a, a, an ambushment against everything that is mine, everything that is, is called mine. Verse 18, and it goes even more horrific. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. 
Now, I'm not going to preach this next part as absolutely the Bible, but one day I sat down and I got a, a, a stopwatch and I timed all four declarations that were made. And it took less than 40 seconds if in fact it says what it says, which I believe it does, that while one was finished speaking, another one showed up. Just one after another, after another, after, in less than 40 seconds, Job's life goes from normal to anything but normal. Now his possessions are gone. His cattle is gone. His house is gone. And his family is gone. So what does one man do in response to all of that calamity? Look at it in the Bible. This is going to probably surprise you what you see here. Job chapter 1 and verse 20. Look at what the Bible says. In, in, in light of all this, then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, which was a response of mourning, and he fell to the ground. Now, everybody, look right here. I know you're reading in your Bible. You're looking at the screen. Look right here at Pastor. If that verse stopped right there, I would feel so good about myself. Because I'm going to tell you something. God forbid, and I say that, all that should happen to me today. I'm going to tear my clothes. I probably won't shave my head, but I'll think about it. I'm going to fall to the ground. I'm not making light of this. So those of you that think, well, he was Superman. No, he wasn't. Right there tells us what he did. He was in anguish. He was probably depressed. He was in mourning. And yet it doesn't say it stops there. He tore his robe. He shaved his head. He fell to the ground. And he worshiped. And then he started talking. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin nor charge God foolishly. See, Job realized he was not a self-made man. Every good thing in his life was given to him by his God. He was not a man that manufactured things on his own. He understood that every good thing comes from God himself. And if God has given it, God can take it. It's not mine, it's his. And if he chooses to bring it back, that's God's call, not mine. See, every good gift, James says in verse 17 of chapter 1, and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. I got to believe this today. I got to make sure I declare this today. Every good and every perfect gift that I have in my life is not from my making. It is not from my manufacturing. It comes down from a place that is higher than I am. This is why Paul says in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us we have a God who loves to give gifts and Job realized 
that every good thing that had been given in his life was from the mercy of God. Are you hearing what I'm preaching today? Listen, I'm going to speak for myself. I don't deserve one good thing God does for me. The truth of the matter is, if it was up to my goodness to have his mercy, I would be short every single time in that equation. Because according to the word, my righteousness is like filthy rags laying over in the garage somewhere. But it is his mercy that is new every morning that even gives me breath to breathe. It's his mercy, new life, that gives us the opportunity to be in the house of God today. It's not our goodness. It's not manufactured by us. It's the mercy of a good and gracious God. And so Job, in order to have patience, had a realization that he was not self-made. This is what caused him to not charge God. I trust him. I trust him. I don't understand him. And by the way, you don't have to understand God to trust God. Because all we got to do is read the scripture. It says his ways are higher than our ways. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways above our ways. We don't understand. That's not, a, that's not letting God get off the hook. It's just we don't see things the way God sees them. Everybody look right here. Just do this. Don't, don't hurt anybody near you, but just do this. We see things right here. But the Lord says, the word of God says that the Lord sits on the circle of the earth. Heaven is his throne And earth is his footstool. He has a vantage point of knowing why things happen and why things intersect that we do not see. I do not see that. Amen. Now now go forward just a few chapters to Job 19 and I'll, I'll bring this to a close today. Job 19 and verse 13. Job has several human moments. I'm going to read that in just a minute, but I got to get down here where we're at right now. Now, I don't want you to hurt anybody's feelings, but I do need you to help me preach right now. How many will help pastor preach right now? If you've been zoning out, good morning. I'm glad you're here. Get the cobwebs out of your brain. You're going to help me preach right now. Okay? Now, this is going to come as a shock to some of y'all. But just go with me right now. I want you to turn to a couple of people when I say go. And I want you just to simply remind them, whether you know it or not, you are human. Some of you are waiting for something greater. That's going to be it right there. Go. Would you tell a couple of people around you right now? Okay, did anybody look at you and go, you're kidding, right? (laughs) Several years ago, we had a lady here in the church, and she's not here, so you don't have to try to figure out who it was. No longer goes here. 
I got done preaching and I came, it was over when we were over next door. And a uh, long time ago. It's always dangerous to say stuff like this because people are going, okay, now I remember her. She used to come. <laughs> don't, don't try to figure it out. You're not going to guess. And I'm not going to tell you either. She came, I came off the platform after preaching and she came up. And, and I don't know if it was like a, it was a message, must have been a message. It was pretty honest and just kind of just candid. Maybe about some stuff I was dealing with. I, don't, I, I really can't remember what I preached. But she came up to me, and, and she, she was so earnest. I mean, there was no kidding around in her. She came up to me, and, and she grabbed my hands. And you can tell an awful lot about what's fixing to come out of someone's mouth by how they grab your hands. She grabbed my hands, and she held them, and she's just kind of shaking them like this. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, we're fixing to walk into something really, really steep right here. And so she got in my face, and she said this. She said, Pastor, please don't ever let us know that you struggle like we do. Okay? Let me pause in the message just for a moment and say, if you ever want to say that to me, don't. Because honestly, Brother James, when she said that to me, I wanted to get down on the floor. Oh, God. What other professions can I get into? And I was just dumbstruck. I'm sitting there, and, and I'm telling you, she was so serious. And I, I, no, normally, I don't have a problem talking. I was, I didn't want to nod. <laughs> have a good week. So sometimes you and I can get this idea that we're the weak one and everybody else has got this thing figured out. Yeah. Now I prayed before I walked in here that God would help us to get into the flow of the Holy Ghost and I feel like we're in that flow right now. I feel like I know in the spirit what, what some people are, are dealing with in this room. That it's always us and we're just weak and we're frail and we're just... Can I tell you something? We're all in this human race together. I, I'm not excusing poor behavior, but none of us, not one of us is glorified yet. Not one of us is walking on streets of gold yet. As long as we got feet on this terra firma, we're going to have to deal with humanity. We're going to have to deal with inconsistencies. We're going to have to deal with things that, that trouble us and make us feel inconsistent. But we do have a choice what we do with that. Listen to pastor right now. We do have a choice. We can be honest and full of faith at the same time because that never intimidates the Lord. And I'm going to prove it to you from the Bible here. Job chapter number 19 and verse 13. This is Job. 
the one who's upright, the one who's perfect. Have you considered my servant Job? You've heard about the patience of Job, that Job. And he says in verse 13, he has removed my brothers far from me and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have failed and my close friends have forgotten me. Those who dwell in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I am an alien in their sight. I call my servant, but he gives no answer. I beg him with my mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife. Did you know that was in the Bible? Some of you are going to quote scripture tomorrow morning. And I am repulsive to the children of my own body. Even young children despise me. I arise and they speak against me. All my close friends abhor me. And those whom I love have turned against me. My bone clings to my skin and to my flesh. And I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me. Have pity on me, O you, my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you persecute me as God does? Are not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that there were engraved those words on a rock with an iron pen and lead for Is anybody in this house understanding? This guy is down and out. This guy is surveying his entire life and he's saying it's so bad, it's so miserable, I wish I had somebody to take notes right now. I wish I had someone to write this down right now. Engrave it on a rock, engrave it with an iron pen and then it's almost as though something wakes him up. Everything is horrible to that point. Honest. Makes us feel better about ourselves because we've been there before. But then he pivots and he declares, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at the last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. I know it's bad right now. I know I don't have answers right now. I know I've got more questions than I've got answers for. But here's what I do know. My Redeemer is alive. And there is coming a day, though this body would be destroyed, I'm going to see my Savior. I'm going to see my Redeemer. He lives and I'm going to see him. Come on, I want something to rise up in the spirit of men and women in this house right now that said, I'm not going to make my all of my life determined by what's happening in my life right now. I'm going to square my shoulders back and say, I may not understand it, but my Redeemer lives. I'm going to see him face to face. He knows the way that I take. I will not charge him foolishly. Come on, new life. You've heard about the patience of Job. There's a reason he had patience. There's a recipe for that patience. I know my Redeemer lives. Come on, say that with me. I know that my Redeemer lives. Come on, I need someone to get that in your spirit right now. 
I need someone to rise up in your spirit. Maybe there'd be someone that would stand with me right now and you would begin to declare that into the unanswered questions. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. Though this skin, though this body would be destroyed, I know that I shall see him face to face. I know that my Redeemer lives. I will not be defined by what I'm going through right now. Come on, somebody. Your life is not defined by what you're going through right now. And God is not defined by what you're going through right now. My Redeemer lives. Come on, I feel like we need to say it again. My Redeemer lives. Go ahead and just say it until you get it in your spirit right now. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. He's the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords. He knows the way that I take. When he's tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He knows my life. He knows my uprising and my downsitting. He knows the way that I take. I feel like I got to make sure someone hears this. There's a blessing coming in the patience. There's a blessing coming in the patience. I wonder if it might be said at some point, years from now, you've heard about the patience of John. You've heard about the patience of Dennis. You've heard about the patience of Jimmy. There's something behind that. It's not a Superman cape, it's a recipe. It's a pattern, it's a template that we can follow today. We can all shout about the fact that one of these days the eastern sky is going to part. Those of us that are alive and remain, hopefully, I'm hoping to be the alive and remain ones, shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. But do you know who's going first? The dead in Christ. Those that prayed and ultimately did not get the answer that they wanted. They're going to get caught up first. Because there's a recipe for patience. There's a pattern for patience. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Whew. I got to make sure you hear it today before you go home. John said, beloved. Now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I've come to tell somebody, it hasn't been revealed what you're going to be yet, but hang on, hang on in patience, hang on to the blessing, it's coming. And it's going to be revealed what we will be because we're going to be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Jesus is victorious. Jesus is seated high above all principality and high above all power.
But his life on earth, the flesh, ended far different than what we would want. But he said, nevertheless, not my will. Your will be done. You've heard of the patience of Job. Praise God. Let's pray right now. I feel the Holy Ghost ministering in this house. I need some intercessors to just lift up your voice right now. We're going to go home in just a minute, but I feel an anointing in this house. I feel a drawing of the Holy Ghost in this house. Whew. I feel the drawing of the Spirit of the Lord in this house. Come on, come on. Stay with it. Stay with it. Stay with it. Come on, I'm preaching to some some elders who you've been suffering for a while now. God's doing something in the difficulty. God's doing something in the difficulty. There's something being formed. There's something that is going to be talked about. You've heard about the patience of Job. You've heard about that. You've heard about that. You've heard about that. Come on, that's it. Go ahead and pray out loud. Some of you pray in the Holy Ghost. You feel to pray in the Holy Ghost. I need some people that have been baptized with the Spirit of God to pray out loud right now. Come on, I want your voice to be lifted with me right now. Come on, we're, we're going to all come in just a minute. We're going to all come in just a minute, but I want to reserve this first call for someone the Spirit's talking to you right now. The Holy Ghost is talking to you right now. You might have been walking through it, but guess what? You're here today and you're saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to step out as a signal of surrender to the Lord, and I'm just going to keep on walking forward. Come on. We don't have to know everything you're going through because he does. We don't have to have privy information for everything you've walked through or what you're walking through right now, but he does. He knows. He knows. He knows. Come on. You've heard of the patience of Job. You've heard of the patience of Job. You've heard of the patience of Job. There's something behind it. There's something that God turns the spotlight on it. There's a lesson to learn from the patience of Job. Come on, that's it. That's it. Those of you that have stepped out here right now, I just want you to lift up your heart to the Lord. Slip your hands up to the Lord and say, God, I surrender all the reality. I surrender all the difficulty. Wow, can you see what God is doing right now? Can you just see what God is doing across this house right now? Come on, Mama, go ahead and let your voice out to the Lord. I know you may not pray out loud very often, but now's the time to pray out loud. Now's the time to lift up your voice. Now's the time to lift up your voice right now. Oh, Jesus. Come on, it has not been revealed yet what shall be. But here's what I do know. When he is revealed, I shall be like he is. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.